protests in China against virus-driven curbs, hundreds of people smashing through COVID-19 barriers and overturning a police car. A mother losing her unborn baby. The tragic event occurred amidst China's strict pandemic rules. A contest for power intensifying, a look at why China, the US and Canada are putting more effort in courting one region in Asia. A Chinese man under arrest in Canada, an employee for a major Canadian power company, he's now on suspicion of espionage tied to clean energy technology. And could Vietnam replace China as the world's leading manufacturer? Germany voices plans to back the country. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Before we turn to today's news, we'd like to introduce you the sponsor of today's episode. Secure, the true solution for your digital privacy and security. Secure is a private and secure messaging and email solution hosted in Switzerland using military-grade encryption and Swiss privacy laws, giving you true privacy. Secure is 100% private and does not collect or sell any of your personal data. Secure's Helix technology connects you securely to our Swiss servers without the need of a VPN, guaranteeing privacy and security for all your communications. Secure Messenger doesn't require your phone number or any personal data that hackers target. Chat by Invites allows you to chat privately and securely with anyone outside of your secure network without the need for others to download Secure. Secure Send offers you a private and secure way to email anyone outside of Secure. You won't find this level of privacy or security on any other email or instant messaging application. Visit secure.com. Regain and protect your privacy today. Public anger is rising over China's ongoing COVID-19 lockdowns. Despite the rest of the world largely reopen, the stringent rules are being met with rare protests from residents in Guangzhou, China's southern industrial metropolis. Here's the story. Anger exploded Monday night over the draconian measures in the southern city. Video circulating online shows fed-up residents smashing through barricades and overturning a police car. The unrest took place in the city's Haizhou district. The district has been under an increasingly restrict lockdown for about 10 days. Tensions have been building there, home to many poor migrant workers. They've complained about unemployment and food shortages. One resident there has been under strict stay-at-home orders for over 20 days. 200,000 people in this district, some of whom have no food or water. They are mostly migrant workers who have nothing at home, just a bed. According to another resident, there are no supplies in many parts of the district, and sick children has been denied medical care. People called the hotlines and couldn't get through. But once connected, the operator said, this is not my duty. The local government, under the Chinese regime, reportedly sent multiple police vehicles to the protests. It's unclear how many people were involved or how long the protests lasted. Related social media posts were quickly scrubbed from the Chinese internet by censors. That anger isn't just limited to Guangzhou. It's emerging across China. But on Tuesday, Chinese state media reaffirmed that China would stick to a zero COVID-19 policy. As COVID infections continue to rise in China, Chinese Communist Party officials are threatened with punishment if they don't have their area under control. The tight restrictions have sparked clashes between residents and local officials. Mm. 
In a video from November 7th posted by a resident from Linyi in China's Shandong province, local COVID enforcers are seen dragging locals over the pavement before hitting them. Some officers in black suits are seen kicking a person in the head. Another woman was thrown to the ground. And in Hunan province, video shows an armed police vehicle with the logo of Zhuzhou Special Police patrolling the streets. The loudspeaker says armed patrols are now being carried out in key areas of Yutong Street. It says citizens are required to strictly abide by prevention regulations to not go out or gather together, and that those who do not obey orders will be dealt with severely. The long lockdowns are driving local citizens crazy. Many lack food and supplies. Several videos circulating online show residents trying to break out from the lockdown barrier. But some can only cry for help. A video of an elderly man kneeling for help in Guangzhou went viral. Locals said the elderly man was begging the staff to save his grandson who has a fever, but no one is there to help. Some people recorded a video of the scene and uploaded it online, but were threatened by police to delete it. Local residents say similar clashes continue. And in Xuchang city of Hunan province, a video shows a local citizen complaining to a local government official that he hasn't been able to eat for two days. The city has been under lockdown for 28 days. The man in the video says, what will you do if I starve to death? And the official replied, if you starve to death, I will sign your death certificate. At the end of the video, the hungry man was beaten. A tragic event occurred in the southwestern metropolis of Chongqing over the weekend. This distressed woman just had a miscarriage. She reportedly needed medical care, but was not allowed to leave her lockdown compound on Saturday. In an official notice on Chinese social media on Sunday, local authorities under the Chinese Communist Party claimed it apologized to the woman, offered compensation, and obtained her forgiveness. But the incident sparked outrage among the Chinese public. Some people left comments on Chinese social media platforms questioning China's stringent lockdowns. Earlier on Friday, China's cabinet unveiled a 20-point plan to slightly curb previous virus measures. It specifically required local cities to ensure normal production and livelihood and vowed to punish cities that arbitrarily impose lockdowns. But many districts in Chongqing reportedly still issue seven-day lockdowns over the weekend. Moving south to Indonesia, world leaders are meeting for key economic talks. A contest for power is heating up in the region. Washington is doubling down on efforts to court Southeast Asian countries, elevating relations and putting money on the table. That's after China's presence has grown significantly in the region. Countries there like Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore and Cambodia surround the critical body of water. It's called the South China Sea is one of the world's most important economic regions. Almost one-third of global maritime trade passes through its waters every year. Now the U.S. is showing more commitment to it. President Biden attended a meeting there with the key leaders. The head of states there formed an international body called the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. ASEAN is the heart of my administration's Indo-Pacific strategy. And we continue to strengthen our commitment to work in lockstep with an empowered, unified ASEAN.
The same day, the White House elevated America's relations with the region to what's called a comprehensive strategic partnership. The Chinese regime secured that status last year. Biden said the U.S. is putting real resources behind its approach, not just rhetoric. Over the last year, my administration has announced more than $250 million in new initiatives with ASEAN. And for 2023, I've requested $850 million in assistance for Southeast Asia. Canada is also joining in. In fact, now more than ever, we need to double down on cooperation. Canada said it would give ASEAN over $300 million in aid over the next five years. Also at the meeting, China's number two official, Premier Li Keqiang, said, We jointly promoted the signing and implementation of RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, and jointly built the world's largest free trade zone. RCEP is the world's largest free trade agreement. It includes almost a third of the global population. Members include most of major economies in East Asia, but it excludes the U.S. China also established a free trade zone with ASEAN over 10 years ago. The deal cuts tariffs on 90 percent of the goods flowing between the member states. Beijing is now mulling over whether to expand the trade zone. China has been ASEAN's biggest trading partner for 13 years in a row. Trade between the two accounts for over 15 percent of China's exports. The Chinese premier said Beijing would pump over $27 million into Cambodia. He also signed 18 agreements with Cambodia, ranging from road construction to trade, education and health. Canadian police arrested a public employee on suspicion of espionage Monday. He had been working for a major power company on producing clean energy. Yuesun Wang now faces charges of selling trade secrets to China. Here's more. While employed by Hydro-Quebec, Mr. Wang allegedly used this position to conduct research for a Chinese university and other Chinese research centers. He reportedly published scientific articles and submitted patents in association with this foreign actor rather than with Hydro-Quebec. It is alleged that he obtained this information to benefit the People's Republic of China to the detriment of Canada's economic interests. Wang faces charges including fraud, breach of trust by a public officer, and using a computer without authorization. He is also charged with espionage for obtaining trade secrets. Authorities say it's the first time that charge has been laid in Canada. Law enforcement officials began investigating Wang in August this year after a complaint was made by his employer, Hydro-Quebec, which is a public utility company. The company Hydro-Quebec is one of the largest power utilities in Canada. It's also a leader in clean energy development. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is wrapping up his two-day visit to Vietnam on Monday with a reassuring message for the country's economy, plans to make Vietnam an alternative manufacturing hub, and to skirt China. Vietnam is one of Southeast Asia's fastest-growing economies and occupies an increasingly prominent place in global supply chains. According to Scholz, Vietnam is an important future partner to reduce Germany's economic dependence on China. Germany previously blocked the sale of a semiconductor factory to a Chinese tech company. It cited security concerns. On the weekend, Germany's economy minister said Germany is still open to trade with China, but noted they're not, quote, stupid.
He said they will need to remain cautious in doing business with China. Like-minded friends are getting closer. Taiwan has confirmed it will pour about $10 million into microchip production in Lithuania. Taiwan is the world's biggest semiconductor supplier. Relations between Taiwan and Lithuania grew closer last year, after the European nation allowed Taiwan to open a de facto embassy in its country, with Taiwan in its official name. It's unique to de facto embassies in other countries, which use Taipei instead, the name of Taiwan's capital. Lithuania's decision angered China, and Beijing kicked the country off China's customs system, blocking all trade activities between them. Beijing also sanctioned a Lithuanian deputy minister after a visit to Taiwan this year. Lithuania responded by calling China's move unjustified and accusing it of violating international law. Back to Taiwan's microchip investment in Lithuania, Taiwan says the funding isn't in return for the Taiwan office. Eric Huang, head of the Taiwanese representative office in Lithuania, said Taiwan would like to work with Lithuania together to strengthen the resilience of democratic supply chains in the face of coercion by autocracies. Lithuania has become Taiwan's most outspoken ally in Europe in recent years. The Baltic country emerged as a democracy in the 1990s, when the communist bloc in Eastern Europe collapsed. Amid North Korean nuclear missile threats, the U.S. and South Korea are strengthening their combined defenses in the region. They also moved the headquarters of America's military base in South Korea, the largest overseas U.S. base. Officials from both countries celebrated the move on Tuesday. NTD's Flinders Kingsley has a story. The U.S.-South Korea Combined Forces Command, or CFC, has moved its headquarters from Seoul to Pyeongtaek. 43 miles from the South Korean capital. The new location at Camp Humphreys military base is the headquarters of the UN Command and the US Forces Korea. Camp Humphreys is the largest overseas US military base. The move will strengthen the combined defense posture in the region. We decided to strengthen U.S. ability for extended deterrence to restrain and respond effectively to North Korea's nuclear missile threats. In particular, we made it clear that North Korea's attempt of a nuclear attack will lead to the end of Kim Jong-un's regime. The U.S. Defense Manpower Data Center says there are around 28,500 U.S. troops stationed in South Korea. That's the third largest garrison of U.S. troops behind those in Japan and Germany. The most precious resource of the Republic of Korea, the United States, and the sending states that have stood with us for the last 44 years has not changed, and it will not change. And while we work to assure the Korean people and to prepare for combat, we pray for peace. Our love of peace, freedom, and security has not changed. It has only gotten stronger. The CFC headquarters was based in the South Korean capital for 44 years before the move. Flinders Kingsley, NTD News. Coming up, foreign interference at the polls. Experts say the Chinese Communist Party is more actively meddling in U.S. elections. We spoke to Josh Kurlancic, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, about Beijing's behavior. What's more, former British diplomat Roger Garcia says U.S.-China relations are in a more dangerous state than ever before. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. China's economy is facing challenges. 
drawn out by strict lockdown orders and a slowdown of the world economy. But is fixing the market the Chinese Communist Party's top priority? A piece of updated legislation may offer up some insight. A recent draft shows that words referring to a focus on economy, reform, and opening up have been removed. The document replaces them with a reference to the CCP leader Xi Jinping's ideology, as for what Xi's approach has looked like in recent years. Xi has pushed China's zero COVID-19 policy, enforcing lockdowns and closing factories. He's also backed the crackdown on the private sector, among other measures that haven't necessarily helped the economy. What's more, the law calls for sticking to what's called Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era. Likewise, the first sentence of the draft was changed from follow the constitution to adhering to the leadership of the Communist Party of China. Zhen Shiguang was one of the leaders of 1989 student protests in Beijing. He commented the change, saying it indicates the CCP's new focus is politics or even war. Evidence is mounting that the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is becoming more and more active in meddling with U.S. elections. To dive into this, NTD's Steve Land spoke to journalist and senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, Josh Kurlancic. Josh Kurlancic, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Josh, we're just off some uh, pretty high-stakes midterms here. Um, high stakes not only for America, but also um, a lot of foreign policy direction is on the uh, line. Were you concerned with any foreign interference uh, in our elections this cycle, specifically by the Chinese Communist Party? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a growing trend. A lot of the focus prior to the last two years had been on Russian interference, but there's definitely a growing trend on in the U.S. and in a lot of other countries of China trying to intervene in a number of ways in elections. One, by um, spreading disinformation on social media platforms. All the major U.S. social media platforms caught Chinese, what they believe to be Chinese efforts to spread disinformation or divide Americans, possibly to support candidates um, who were more sympathetic to China, so that Meta, Google, Twitter all um, found evidence of that. Then there's also some evidence of direct meddling. Um, there was evidence of direct meddling in some races, local races, and a state legislature race in New York City. Um, Canada, there has been extensive reports of ex extensive, extensive meddling in the 2019 federal election, which I think uh, uh, we should be expecting coming here as as well. Um, and then there's an increase, I think, an increasing desire by the Chinese government to become more involved in state and local elections in the U.S. <clears throat> because those tend to have lower safeguards than um, a presidential election or a senatorial election, and that may lower the bar for Chinese um, operatives to become involved in a campaign, et cetera. I mean, we saw that with the case of Fang Fang, the alleged spy who became enmeshed in the Bay Area's political scene, um, as well as she had some contacts with Midwestern mayors. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, the FBI has already warned that essentially that they, they are concerned that China is going to become, going to become the main uh, actor in uh, 
in um, external influence in, in U.S. elections. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak calls China the biggest state-based threat to British economic security, but he's declined to say whether he intends to officially class the Chinese regime as a threat. Sunak is among the world leaders gathering in Indonesia for the G20 summit and has said he's open to meeting Chinese Communist Party head Xi Jinping. On Monday, U.S. President Biden met with the Chinese leader, Roger Garcia, former British diplomat and author of the book China Coup, The Great Leap to Freedom, says U.S.-China relations are in a more dangerous state than any other time he can remember. NTD's Jane Wuerl spoke with him about it. Hi, Roger. Firstly, uh, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, said, China poses a systematic challenge to our values and interests, and it represents the biggest state-based threat to our economic security. So this most recent comment, he, he doesn't say Beijing's a blanket threat, which is unlike some of the language used by his predecessor, Liz Truss. What do you make of Rishi Sunak's latest comments? I think this is a very well-judged comment. Um, it is certainly a tougher recognition of the, the China threat than uh, certainly in the, the Cameron or uh, May eras. Um, China is a threat. It's not simply a competitor. President Biden met with the Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping and held three hours of talks. How significant was this meeting between the US President Biden and the Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping at the G20? It was a very good thing that it took place because relations between the US and China are now in a more dangerous state than at any time that I can remember in the 64 years I've been following uh, China and indeed since the end of the Korean War in 1953. It's good that the two leaders should at least meet in person and should have agreed that their officials will meet um, and restore the communication channels uh, which were in operation until recently. What makes their relationship in the most dangerous state, in your view? The aggressive uh, stance uh, taken by the Chinese uh, communist leadership. Um, the increasing pressure on Taiwan, they clearly hope to be able to take Taiwan, I think short of using war, but I think that they are determined to pile on the pressure by nonviolent means to capture Taiwan. The US and the Chinese Communist Party have diverging values and they have disagreements, as we saw from, from the latest meeting as well. How should the US stand up to Beijing? Well, first of all, the US and indeed its allies and partners like Japan and Korea must unequivocally stand up for their democratic values. And Biden is absolutely right in doing this. Um, we are engaged in a struggle between democracy and autocracy throughout the world. And Xi Jinping is in absolutely no doubt about that. And he has made it absolutely clear. Um, secondly, we have got to use our economic superiority um, to put pressure on China. Um, 
to back up our statements of values with um, real pressure when they step out of line, when they, for instance, we have the greatest capital markets in the world, we have the major reserve currencies in the world, we have the control of the world's banking system between us, the US and its allies. We've got to be prepared to use these uh, instruments, these assets, um, in pursuit of our strategic goals. Well, Roger Gosler, thank you very much. Thank you, Jane. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.